Hey friends, welcome to the South Bend City Church Podcast. Jason Miller here, and before we get to this episode, we wanted to let you know that we're hiring at South Bend City Church. We're looking for a worship and arts pastor who will curate the songs, prayers, scriptures, reflections, Eucharistic practices, quiet spaces, and celebrations that help us grow in the way of Jesus, and who will lead the teams that create those expressions for both our gatherings and our podcast, which means if we get this hire done well, it'll actually up our game on the podcast that you're listening to right now. If you're interested or you know somebody who might be, go to southbendcitychurch.com jobs. You'll see the full job description and the steps that you can take to apply. Church family, uh, we hope that you're praying with us as we look for the right person to add to our team. And may grace and peace be with you. So a wise friend once told me that the goal of parenting is not to raise perfect five-year-olds, but to raise healthy 25-year-olds. So not about like focusing on, you know, whether or not we have good kids, but thinking about whether or not we're raising people who will be good roommates someday. And frankly, that's a, that's a little scary to me to think about that, because I know that right now I have good kids. Uh, my kids are great. They will do anything I ask them to do. They will typically be able to do that pretty quickly. Uh, but over time, I thought that all I wanted was good kids, but, but then you start to realize that, that you, you want more from them, right? Uh, I don't just want my kids to be good kids to, to do the things I ask them to do. There's only so often that I can go and say like, hey, that granola bar that you just unwrapped and dropped the wrapper on the ground, I need you to pick that up. And when I say that, they do pick it up. And then I'll walk into their room and say, hey, that yogurt that you ate two days ago that's still laying on the floor of your room, I need you to throw that away and put the spoon in the dishwasher. And they will do that. And so they're great kids because whenever I ask them to do something, they will do the thing that I'm asking them to do. But I recognize that there is more to life than just my kids doing the things I'm asking them to do. At some point, at, at some point, I would love for them to take responsibility for themselves to say like, hey, I just ate this thing. I should probably throw it away so it doesn't lay around on the floor for two days, right? That is the transition between being a good kid who does the things that are asked from them and being a good roommate someday is the ability to just take responsibility to see and respond to the needs in the world around us. So for the last month, we've been talking about loving our city well. Um, and from the story of Jesus, we see that Jesus defines that as being good neighbors, uh, seeing and responding to the world around us. And it kind of has the same thing, right? This difference between being a good kid who does what they're told and, and a good adult, a good roommate who's able to just naturally see and respond to the world. This applies to neighboring too, right? That so many times in churches, we act like good kids where we get in a, a place where we sit around and we wait for our churches to tell us what the next project is to love our city well. When maybe the goal we should be reaching for is to be good roommates in the world around us, to be able to naturally see and respond on our own to the needs that are going on in our communities. So that's what we've been talking about. Uh, two weeks ago, we started this series talking about seeing and responding to the urgent things uh, that are demanding our attention, that are, that are pulling at us in life, right? How can we make sure that we're ready and we're available and we're flexible to respond to those? And then last week, we talked about uh, seeing and responding well, like works a lot better the more deeply invested we get in, with people and, and into community. 
And so this week, uh, I was all set to um, move forward in talking about another mode of seeing and responding well in our community. Uh, but then my wife ruined everything, right? Um, my wife's fantastic. If you know her, if you know my wife, Robin, she is kind and thoughtful and intelligent and empathetic. Uh, she is an amazing person and everybody who meets her loves her. Uh, I kid you not. She's fantastic. She also has this gift that with one word, she is simultaneously helpful and just destroys my sermons. And this happens all the time. And this week was no exception to that. It, it actually played out the way it nearly always plays out. So last week and I was preparing my sermon, I was going through and I was working on it and I felt pretty good. I felt like I got some good ideas down to, to motivate us and challenge us to be better neighbors, to motivate us and challenge us to invest more deeply. And I was like, all right, Robin, I got my sermon done. I just want your thoughts on it. I slide it across to her and she takes a look at it and she finishes looking at it and she's like, I, I said, what do you think? And she's like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Yeah, 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 it's good. It's, it, it's good. I'm like, yeah, it's good, but she's like, well, it, it's really good. It, it, it helps us to, to be challenged to love our neighbors well and to love our neighbors more deeply, but, and here's the word, here's the one that gets me. She's like, but how? How, you, you say to love our neighbors more deeply, but how do we do that? Like, how do we even begin? How do we go about that? What steps do we even take? What does it look like for us to do that? That how word gets me every time. And I'm like, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, after a while, it starts to soak in and I am eventually get to the point of like, okay, that's fair. And, and then finally I get to a place of like, okay, yeah, we probably need to talk about that. So today we're gonna hit pause on kind of diving in deep uh, into seeing and responding to our city well. And we're gonna pull back and just kind of talk about five practical steps for how we can be good neighbors. Five practical steps for seeing and responding to our city. Today is less of a sermon and more of a workshop. So uh, I hope you're able to track with that. And um, yeah, I'm excited to dive into this. So the first big idea that's gonna guide us in these practical steps is the idea that we need to know ourselves. We need to know ourselves. This was probably what was behind Robin's question of how to me was probably an issue of personality. See, my wife and I are wired very differently, very differently in a lot of interesting ways. Probably the biggest area you could describe of difference for us is that she is more introverted and that I am more extroverted and that shows up all the time in a wide variety of ways that we interact with the world. But as Robin's watching me, she knows that I show up then in the world in a very different way than her. And I show up as a neighbor in very different ways than her. And as somebody who lives life close to me, who is both hearing me teach on the challenge of uh, neighboring more and being better neighbors and investing into our communities more, and then she sees how that practically works for me, how I interact with my neighbors, how I go about talking to people and meeting people and all that, uh, it can come across as though the way that I interact as a neighbor is what I'm asking other people to do. That as though I'm asking other people to have the same wiring and the same personality as me. And I think too often we fall into that trap. But if we define neighboring in a way that only works for extroverts, for example, and not introverts, then we've done each other in the world a great disservice. 
I love the funny story, uh, it's funny to me, in Exodus chapter four of God calling Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. We, we talked some about that last week of God intervening to, to rescue his people. So God calls Moses, his great leader, for his leadership qualities to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, uh, the leader of the Egyptians, that he needed to release God's people, the Israelites, from slavery. So as God goes to have this conversation with Moses about this, to tell Moses what he needs, God goes to Moses and explains to Moses what God needs done. And Moses is like, yeah, but I'm not into the whole public speaking thing, God. (laughs) That's not really who I am. And I think many can relate to that, right? Uh, and God's like, yeah, but Moses like, I'm God, I will be with you. And you know, when I am with you, you can do all sorts of things that, that maybe you wouldn't normally think you could do. And Moses is like, I get that, but I really don't like the public speaking thing, right? So God ends up relenting and saying like, yay, I realize this is not part of your personality. I realize this is not a part of who you are. Why don't you go find your brother Aaron and bring your brother Aaron with you because Aaron is good at those things. Aaron is good at public speaking and Aaron can do the talking and you can do the leading, right? And together we can accomplish this goal that we have to accomplish of making sure God's people are set free, right? I love that God ended up stepping in and allowing this to happen because it kind of shows two things in this story. One is that, Uh, no one can do everything and that's okay, right? Not even Moses, who is one of the central figures throughout all of the scriptures, a great leader, not even Moses could do everything. He was not uh, all capable, right? And also it shows that we need each other, right? Even Moses needed Aaron and even Aaron needed Moses. We need each other. Paul dies into this more in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talks about churches and communities as parts of the body. And he talks about our differences in that way, that as a body, we, we have eyes and nose and mouth and feet and legs and arms and hands, right? We have all these different parts of our body that all do these different things. They function in different ways. And no part is more important than the others, right? We can't say that that the mouth is more important and all of my parts of my body should be mouths instead of hands and arms and feet, that wouldn't make any sense. We need all the different parts being uniquely what they are, all working together. And so we can understand in this that Paul's telling us we don't need to be something that we're not. So just as Robin might look at me and the way I'm able to march across the street and talk to anybody and kind of raise their hands of like, I don't even know where to begin with that. Like I look at Robin and her unique characteristics of neighboring and sometimes I don't know how she's able to do it. Um, Robin has this unique ability to go deep with people in a minute. Like she can take the trash out, be gone for literally like a minute and come back in and be like, oh, I bumped into Susan and she's having a really difficult time at work and has a lot of insecurity about that and she's having surgery in two weeks and her mom just got COVID. And I'm like, how did, how did you get all of that? Like you were gone like a minute. How did you get all of that information? She just is able to, to go deep with people in ways that I can't even understand how she's able to see and respond to neighbors in that way. Uh, similarly, like I tend to only be able to focus on the things that are right in front of me, but Robin does this crazy thing where she remembers that people exist even later. Like on down the road, she still remember, remembers people, right? It'll be two weeks later and she'll be like, 
Hey, remember, today is the day that Susan's mom's having surgery so that we can pray for her. And I'm like, how on earth do you know any of that, right? Uh, and yet she has this ability to see and know and remember in ways that I am in awe of. So not only are our differences okay, but our differences in how we go about seeing and responding to the world are good. So two practical tips that come from that. The first practical tip of the day is just be you. Respond in ways you can as neighbors. Maybe the thought about walking across the street and knocking on the door, cold call of a new neighborhood, neighbor that just moved in, maybe that's terrifying to you. That's fine. Like, how, What is a better way that works with your personality to be able to reach out? Maybe it's sending a note across or uh, sending some food or some cookies across to a new neighbor. Maybe it's uh, getting their phone number from a neighbor who has marched across the street and sending a text message uh, to, to welcome them instead. What, is a, what are ways that you can be a good neighbor that fit with your personality? For personalities like mine that uh, struggle to be able to go deep or struggle to remember, you know, I need to remember to set alarms for myself or reminders. If I want to be a good neighbor and I'm not wired in that way, uh, I need to figure out ways that do work with my personality to make sure that I'm able to neighbor well. So go ahead and be you, respond in ways you can. Uh, the uh, second practical tip is uh, find people who do things you don't. So not only be you, but then just like Moses needed an Aaron to round out uh, the areas that Moses was incomplete in, and Aaron needed a Moses, what are the ways in which you are not wired to, uh, to, to function? And how can you find people that do things that well that you don't do well? Um, because the point of community is that we have each other, right? And with each other, we all make each other stronger. So be you and find people who do things you don't. All right, second big idea to guide us today is that love is a two-way street. Sometimes neighboring is awkward because it feels more like a project than a friendship. Sometimes we treat being a good neighbor, neighboring like it's something we do to people. There's many times that I'll have conversations with people uh, where they will say things like, well, I'm ready to be a good neighbor to others, but nobody ever lets me. Nobody ever comes and asks me for anything, right? But the funny thing is I could go person by person through a neighborhood or person by person through a community sometimes and get that same response of, I want to be a good neighbor to others, but nobody needs me to do that for them. I wish people needed me to be a good neighbor so that I could do that to them. I could neighbor them. But at the same time, probably everybody would say like, I need people to be good neighbors to me. So how do we get into a space where everybody would admit that they need others capable of seeing and responding to their lives around them and say they're willing to see and respond to the lives of others and yet none of it's happening. It's just kind of all frozen and locked down without a lot of interaction going on. Well, I think one of the reasons this happens is because of pride. In America especially, sometimes it's easier to help others than it is to ask for help. Sometimes it's easier to serve others than it is to allow others to serve us. This is one of the fascinating barriers that we see Jesus continually breaking through. There's this interesting story in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus is dining with one of the religious leaders and a situation that speaks to this comes up. In this situation, we're told in Luke 7, verses 36 through 39, it says this, When one of the Pharisees, religious leaders, 
invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, that's a euphemism, she likely was a prostitute. Well, she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Okay, there's a lot going on here. Um, some of this is just culturally different. Um, you're not going to see anybody in our culture touching other people's feet normally, let alone washing them. So parts of this were very normal for them. Um, so we can just adjust to that. Uh, okay, it goes on. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinful woman. All right, so the problem here is that uh, the religious leaders get freaked out by what Jesus is doing. But the problem isn't just the presence of the woman. The problem, they wouldn't have this problem if Jesus was uh, healing her, caring for her, cleansing her, preaching to her. Uh, The issue here is not that she's there. The issue is that Jesus allowed her and her status to care for him. You see, there's this cultural assumption built into this that love flows from the privileged to the pitied. It's the kind of thinking that separates the world into two categories, the helpers and the helped. Pastors sometimes are the worst offenders at this. I've talked to many friends, many pastors who are going through tough things, uh, difficulties in marriage or with mental health, badly in need of counseling. And when the thought of counseling, the conversation about counseling comes up, I often will hear from other pastors, yeah, but it's hard because you know, I'm normally the one that's doing the counseling, so it's tough, right? But it's that kind of thinking that says either we're the type of people that help people or we're the type of people that need help, which I think is problematic on a number of levels. And one of them being like, who wants to be in the type of category that only needs help that the world treats as though they have nothing to offer, right? If we want to be in healthy neighboring relationships, it's going to take acknowledging both that we have something to offer the world and others, and that we have some things that we need from others. So the two practical tips here. First of all, ask for help. We can be a good neighbor by asking other people to help us. One of the simplest acts of kindness you can do is to ask your neighbor for a cup of sugar or to borrow a screwdriver. Now, it may seem counterintuitive that we are caring for others by asking them for something. But one of the things it does when you ask others for help is it provides dignity, right? It acknowledges that other people have something meaningful to offer. When I come to you and say, hey, I need this from you, I am telling you, I am here absent of something and you have something that you can contribute to the world. You have something valuable to offer the world, something valuable to offer me that I am seeking from you, right? That provides dignity, which is kindness and love. The second thing it does when we ask others for help is it sets a norm around needing each other. Earlier in pandemic, uh, we had a dog. Did not work well, did not work well for us. That's another story for another day. Uh, But why we had the dog, one of the challenges when you have a dog is uh, who's going to take care of the dog if we have to go somewhere, right? And this can be a stressful thing because it's like, oh, we don't want to put so-and-so out. Their lives are already so busy and so complicated. We don't want to ask, you know, we don't want to impose on other people. One of the greatest things was when other people with a dog would reach out to us and say like, hey, could you watch our dog for a couple days? 
And it was so great because it was like, yes, we can watch your dog. And now, thank you, we have that kind of relationship, right? There was, in the future, there was no more thinking about it. We now knew that this was the type of relationship where we could ask each other for this type of thing. And that was such a great relief, such a great gift for us. So ask people for help. The fourth practical tip for today on neighboring is to be vulnerable. If you want people to be willing to share with you, share with them. I deal with anxiety in my life, especially in the wintertime, but just kind of always too. And there's many times that I'm on medicine for my anxiety. You wouldn't believe the gift that it is to people when I start to talk about my anxiety, how people feel relieved to be able to open up and talk about the things that they're going through, right? Because so many of us are carrying so much baggage and we don't know with whom or where it's safe to share. And so when somebody shares with us, it kind of opens that door. And so one of the ways we can be kind to others is simply by sharing our stories and being vulnerable with others because it provides the gift of openness that invites them into that as well. All right, the third big idea for today uh, is the idea that we need to move our fences. So I'm preparing the sermon for this week, this, this, this exact talk, on the practical steps to be a good neighbor. And uh, I was sitting upstairs in my bedroom on my bed. It's nine o'clock in the morning. It's still just kind of that morning, peaceful, quiet, good thinking time. And the doorbell rings. And I look at our like doorbell cam and it's my neighbor, John. I just remember thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You see, where I live on my block, many of my neighbors have challenges. We have challenges of addiction and violence and all sorts of other things going on. That's just kind of a normal part of uh, what the challenges we're dealing with. But with John in particular, John's challenges led him last summer into a place where he was stealing things. He was going through our mailboxes and our, our packages and stole my daughter's bike off of our porch. And we just had a new neighbor move in uh, and this neighbor was starting to feel unsafe as a result of this. And I was really frustrated. And so I felt the right thing to do was to go and try and talk to my neighbor about. So I went to John and I was like, hey, we need to talk about this, this is going on. And John was having none of it. John uh, shut me down, walked away, wouldn't even begin to have the conversation. And I was so angry that we couldn't even talk about it. And I didn't do anything else. I didn't lash out. I didn't respond any other way. I just did nothing for the last year. I've done nothing. Had no interactions with John after this. And then the doorbell rings. And I come down in the middle of working on my sermon on neighboring. And I answer the door and John says, hey, I'm so sorry, I, I really need you. I need help, I need a ride. It's kind of an emergency that I need help. And then he said, I'm so sorry, I know that I should not have come to you for this. So this sermon is now about hypocrisy. So <laughs> I felt, right? Oh my goodness, like I'm teaching a sermon, a lesson on being a good neighbor and have a neighbor tell me, like, of all the people in this community that I could turn to for help, I realize that I should not be turning to you for neighboring help right now. And I, I had done that. I had created that environment, which made me do a lot of soul searching. And I realized what was going on is that I had put him in a category that was outside of my responsibility to love as neighbors. 
I had a responsibility to, to love and be gracious and kind with all these neighbors, but John had now moved outside of that category on the other side of my fence. And it's a normal human thing that we do. We kind of lawyer the lines of how far this call to love our neighbor extends. That's actually something Jesus responded to in Luke chapter 10. When Jesus ends up responding with the story of the Good Samaritan, he's responding to this religious lawyer who comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the religious lawyer is like, okay, good, 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 good. So about the loving your neighbor, like who all does that include, right? Because surely that doesn't include everybody. Uh, so who, you know, if I have this responsibility, how far reaching does that responsibility go? And you know when he's asking that question, he's got people in mind, right? And likely, because we know the story of their culture and the people, he's likely thinking, fingers crossed, please don't say Samaritans, please don't say Samaritans, please don't say Samaritans, right? Like, I understand I need to love people, but please don't ask me to love them. And then Jesus goes on and tells the story of the Good Samaritan in which a Samaritan person who they would have seen as an outcast outside their fences of responsibility was the hero of the neighboring story. That would have been really difficult for Jesus to ask them to love them, the hardest they could imagine. So my question for us today then is, who are your Samaritans? Who are the people that would be hardest to love? I think sometimes in society, in America today, we think that these passages apply most to the most marginalized people, right? Uh, loving those who are most on the outside of society. And so we feel really good when we help those who are uh, poor outsiders. But in the United States, I've never heard somebody say, oh, I gave my coat to the unsheltered neighbor and people get offended. No, if you do something like that, people are like, oh, that's awesome, that's so great. But this kind of thing that we're talking about here with the story of Samaritans is the kind of thing that who are the people that when you love them, people look at you and say, why would you do that? You're crazy. Who are those kinds of people that are hardest to love? You know, certainly we can think of our enemies, probably, that applies. But sometimes it's people that are closer than that. Sometimes the people that if we were asking Jesus the question, who is in my responsibility, who, the people we would be hoping that he says are not, are maybe our family members, right? Maybe people we've walked through years of frustration with and we're tired of it, and we're frustrated by it. Maybe it's people that have different politics than us and we can't understand them, we don't see where they're coming from, they drive us nuts, they're frustrating, and it's so hard to think about loving those people. For me, I have some baggage walking through some difficult church history. I've been through some things where uh, the church communities and cultures I grew up in uh, have kind of rejected who I am and the story of faith that I've been on now. And that's painful to me. And so not only is it hard for me to think about loving those who hurt me, the specific individuals, but it's also difficult for me to think about loving those who are like those who hurt me, loving those who uh, are in similar communities or have similar beliefs or similar practices. For me, it's difficult for me to think about loving churchy people. 
And I recognize the difficulty and the irony of me saying that as a pastor speaking to church. But churchy people, because of the pain I've walked through, can be really difficult for me. That might be my biggest Samaritan group. So the practical step here from this is not to do anything different. The last practical step is the types of things we're already doing or plan on doing for others. We need to open the door for the rest. Whatever we're doing for some, open the door for the rest. One last disclaimer here, and that is uh, I want to, to give a disclaimer for those who are walking through or have walked through uh, abuse and trauma. Oftentimes people will hear this and will see it as a call to uh, re-engage in relationships or to continue and engage in abusive relationships, whether that's physical, emotional, um, mental abuse, or any other type of abuse. And uh, this is not about that. Um, if you are in a situation that has produced pain or continues to produce pain, I'm not asking you, and I don't think the scripture asks you to continue to put yourself in pain and in harm's way. Um, even as I talk about my neighbor situation, taking my neighbor and driving my neighbor on, on this errand would not have put my family at risk or, or myself into more pain by doing this thing. Um, so I just want to be really clear here uh, that we are not asking people who have been in the midst of abuse and trauma to continue to submit themselves to that. It is good and healthy to have boundaries in life. As we move forward then in closing, today was just uh, a little different perhaps. Today was, again, a little more workshop. I'm excited next week. Uh, Dr. Angela Logan is teaching us and she's gonna dive a little back deeper into listening and responding to our community well. I'm excited for that. But as we go, I just want you to know uh, that whatever you're going through this week, again, God sees and knows and responds to you right where you're at. God doesn't expect you to be different than you are. God knows who you are. God knows your strengths and your weaknesses. God knows your journey and walks in that with you. And my challenge to us is that we would consider extending the love and grace God shows us to the world around us, even those that it would be hardest for us to do. Grace and peace be with you, friends.